Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Breast Cancer Conversations. I am so thrilled you are joining us today, and boy, do we have some exciting news to share. I am joined with Sonia Bawa. Sonia is a student at Johns Hopkins University, and she has been interning with survivingbreastcancer.org for several years now. I am thrilled to have her part of our team, and she is going to be supporting a special edition of our podcast series where she is going out speaking to medical professionals, learning about what they do in the day in the life, how they got into the field, and the most important information that they want us as patients to understand and know. So I am so excited for this series. You're going to be hearing more from Sonia. And I really hope you enjoy. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, everyone. My name is Sonia, and I'm an intern here at survivingbreastcancer.org. As a new segment of SBC, I'm starting a podcast segment where I talk to physicians all across the globe about the clinical perspective of a breast cancer diagnosis, as well as new technologies and research coming into the field of breast cancer. I truly believe that this perspective is important in understanding a diagnosis in a way that patients and their families may not have seen it before. I'm joined today by Dr. Renuka Kulkarni, a pathology specialist in New Jersey. From a breast cancer perspective, Dr. Kulkarni examines breast samples and biopsies in order to make diagnoses. Uh, hi, Dr. Kulkarni. Uh, hi, Sonia. Um, I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me today. We're so lucky to have you on the podcast, and yeah, let's just get right into it. What brought you into the field of pathology, and how long or where have you been practicing? Uh, I've been practicing pathology for over 10 years now, um, and when I was looking for residency positions, I was looking for a field of medicine which involved every aspect of medicine. I did not want to be honed in on a specialty or, or uh, an organ system, for that matter. I was also looking for something which would get me involved with teams and it will be a collaborative effort. And then Mm -hmm. the other thing was uh, I needed something which would constantly challenge me every new case every day and also something that would evolve with the newer technologies coming out. And Mm -hmm. uh, and personally also I was looking for a field which would give me a good uh, work-life balance. So pathology filled all those areas and that's how I landed up in pathology. Mm -hmm. And uh, where do you practice now? Uh, I been a surgical pathologist in uh, New Jersey. I work with the reference lab. I do their immunohistochemistry, their prognostic markers, and I also do their digital pathology for them. Yeah, and do you feel that where you practice, especially having practice in New Jersey for this time, has an impact on how you practice, especially considering the patient population that you are treating? Definitely. Uh, New Jersey, like you know, the tri-state area is densely populated. It has a diverse set of population. That way it gives us a good uh, set of uh, uh, patients to see how they respond to the uh, uh, diagnosis, treatment, and the newer uh, changes in the field. Uh, and thanks to the proximity of the best academic and research institute, institutions in, uh, around uh, New Jersey has given me an opportunity to be involved in the community and also be aware of the uh, recent trends in the uh, breast cancer field. Yeah, I can definitely imagine how 
a diverse population and access to academic centers would lead to important research breakthroughs. And just in terms of your role as a pathologist, how do you feel that pathology is able to bridge the gap between laboratory testing and clinical care? Before everybody thought that pathologists would be in one corner of the hospital, mostly in the basement, and there would <laughs> yeah. be no there would be no interaction with the uh, hospital or the clinical setup. And the most popular field of pathology was mostly forensics uh, pathologists who normally came up on TV and every time a high-profile medical legal case was uh, going on. Uh, but uh, recently, pathologists, um, uh, role of pathologists in um, uh, clinical care and patient management has changed a lot. Uh, in fact, I feel like uh, we are the foundation for uh, the start of a patient, building a treatment plan for a patient. We mm-hmm. not only give a diagnosis to the patient, but we also give diagnosis to the clinic- clinical team who can start their planning of the treatment for their patient. So I believe a pathologist plays a very critical role in uh, patient management. And uh, on our clinical pathology side, uh, as we are all aware of, it's a study of the blood, urine, and other body samples, uh, Mm -hmm. which are uh, where we use molecular microbiology and parasitology technology to give patients a diagnosis, which will help, again, the clinicians to make appropriate diagnosis and treat their patients. Yeah, absolutely. And I've done a little bit of shadowing, especially under a pathologist over the past couple of years. And I certainly thought that the role of a pathologist was to, you know, sit in a dark room, looking at imaging all day, not really much other than that. But as time has gone on and as I'm talking to you and as I've seen under the shadowing that I've done, you know, pathology really is a very critical role to cancer and to a breast cancer diagnosis in general. And just in terms of what you've seen from on the patient side of things, what do patients and their families know about your role in their breast cancer diagnosis? Patients don't know that it's the pathologist that is that creates the samples that is taken from the patient and gives them a diagnosis. Uh, they, um, very often they think it's the gynecologist who gives them their pap results or a urologist that gives them their prostate biopsy results or um, or a gastroenterologist who gives them the gastric biopsies. Uh, so right. I would like patients to know that it is uh, pathologists play a very keen role in the starting of their uh, diagnosis uh, and the the, uh, the treatment and also mm-hmm. in following them up throughout the treatment to make sure from the start uh, till checking to see if there's any vestibular cancers till the complete remission. So I, I would like, uh, and also uh, pathologists making the right diagnosis is very key for the patient's treatment plan. So I think that's what the, um, the patients need to know, and that's why they need to make sure they get their biopsies done or read or have a second opinion uh, any time they feel that they, for, for their treatment plan to be uh, on target. Yeah, absolutely. And you've been practicing for quite some time now, and you've worked in, again, numerous locations. How do you feel that the world of pathology and the field itself has kind of evolved from when you started practicing or when you were like in your medical training to now? Oh, wow. Uh, pathology, uh, like medicine, pathology has come a long way. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess gone are the days uh, when we all just read biopsies, looked at the histomorphology and made a diagnosis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and, and also since the current medicine uh, has changed from the conventional uh, belief of one size fits all, 
um, pathology also has changed and it has played a very key role in the uh, evolving of the precision medicine. Uh, initially, uh, we, uh, we even, even now we do still do the histopathology diagnosis. That's the main uh, way we diagnose uh, a lesion, uh, ruling it out as a, uh, infectious versus uh, cancer. But also we have got the privilege of adding immunohistochemical markers and prognostic markers and the newer technologies like molecular therapy and molecular diagnosis and gene sequencing has mm-hmm. given us the ability to be more um, precise with our diagnosis and uh, help the clinician in coming up with a more accurate and patient-specific treatment plan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think as as the the world continues to evolve, we're seeing all all sorts of new technologies and kind of new innovations. Um, the field of medicine is kind of evolving right there, right there with it, and even more so, especially when it comes to pathology, as you were as you were talking about. So then, kind of on that topic, um, can you talk a little bit about what kind of breast prognostic markers there are, and how do they help lead to a more precise treatment, especially in the oncology setting? Um, like, if you're if you're con- confused or, you know, are there any additional tests that you order or recommend a patient have that could be maybe more helpful in making a more tailored cancer treatment plan? Uh-huh. Yes, of course. Uh, prognostic markers basically tell us the course of the disease, the way that uh, a tumor is going to progress, and what needs to be done to uh, Prevent the cancer from spreading, or uh, or from, or making sure it is in remission. So basically, it, things like even the size of the tumor, the stage of the tumor, the mutations that are present, all are um, clinic, all are once are one one way or the other markers for the tumor progression. But the recently, with the advent of immunohistochemistry, we have started using estrogen receptors and progesterone receptors, which tell us if the tumor has those receptors. And with the advent of uh, hormonal therapy, we'll be able to mm-hmm. we have been be able to use those for uh, uh, patients with those um, receptors. Uh, the yeah. other one most popular is the Herceptin. Uh, which is basically uh, tells us if the receptin receptor is positive that it has it's an aggressive tumor, uh, so it has to be dealt. But it has a very good targeted therapy, so the oncologist can use it. And with the targeted therapy, there are excellent results for such HER2 positive patients. The other mm-hmm. one is the key 67, which is a proliferative index. Uh, that one will tell us how uh, proliferated the tumor is, and higher the number, that means the more aggressive the tumor is. Uh, so that kind of, again, helps the uh, oncologist decide whether they want to go with which way they want to treat the patient, whether it's surgery or chemotherapy or radiation. The uh, the other um, marker is the P53. Uh, uh, if that mutation yeah. is present, that means the tumor is aggressive and it has a poor outcome. So again, uh, the targeted therapies cater towards uh, these uh, indicators. Uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, sorry. That was, was... Yeah, uh, a lot of research has been done lately, and very new, many new markers are up in the market. But then the good thing is there are also some uh, tumor profiling markers like Oncotype DX and MAMA Print, which will uh, help the oncologist basically see if they're what they're. Tre- this is something which will follow the patient after the treatment, so it will tell them whether they are giving them the right treatment, and also check if. Um, what are the uh, 
uh, risks for uh, uh, reoccurrences and how the patient, the clinician has to modify the treatment if the patient is not doing well. So these markers not only help us plan the treatment, but they also follow the uh, progress and also help us tweak the treatment if needed. Mm-hmm. So something something that's kind of been uh, like popping up in the world of breast cancer and like kind of a, a phrase that's being and all sorts of research has been liquid biopsy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, uh, liquid biopsy is the uh, latest one, and it is getting more popular because it is less invasive and also less the expensive. It can be done out of the blood sample that is taken off uh, from the patient, unlike the tumor biopsy or the excision we have to uh, uh, go to. So this is helpful because it will check the patient's plasma to see if there's any residual cancer uh, cells and even its minute forms. So that way, this will tell the patient. Uh, and the doctor that the patient, the treatment has worked or the patient um, is disease-free or they have to, again, uh, uh, tweak the patient, uh, tweak the uh, treatment. This has been very helpful because the patient will have some sort of uh, relief knowing that uh, the treatment is working and they are getting better. Yeah, and again, I think it's really interesting to hear how far the medical technology field and research has come um, throughout your time working as a pathologist and for, you know, as long as medicine has existed. So another question I had was, how does a breast cancer treatment team make sure that a patient doesn't just become their diagnosis? I think a lot of the times when a patient is meets with their physician, meets with a specialist, um, a lot of the times people think that the physician is just going to cure them. They're telling them what medications to take. They're telling them what protocol to follow, and that's it. How does the breast cancer treatment team make sure that they are able to empathize and sympathize with the patient throughout their diagnosis and kind of not make the patient just a statistic, if you will? Uh, Actually, breast cancer is one of the uh, areas where a lot of research has been done, a lot of thought has been gone into. So nowadays, we don't diagnose patients with just breast cancer. There's an entire team that uh, that follows the patient once the patient is diagnosed with uh, uh, mass, per se. So we have uh, not only from the clinician, a nurse practitioner, a patient support uh, um, nurse or a coordinator or a, a psychologist, uh, and again, a pathologist, then a surgeon, a genetic counselor, um, uh, and then a treatment uh, nurse. So the whole team is put together with the patient and the family in mind to make sure that the patient is comfortable with the diagnosis and the treatment plan, and then also uh, the, all the support uh, within the hospital and outside hospital is provided with the team. And uh, the tumor boards and uh, breast tumor boards are very popular in uh, teaching hospitals because it's nice to see when the whole hospital comes together to uh, help a patient. Yeah, I think that that's really important for people listening to this podcast to hear. So thank you for saying that. And as technology continues to evolve, how do you feel that you and your team and oncologists in general are really able to keep up with all the research going on? 
Ah, yes. Uh, uh, ASCO comes up with guidelines every every so often, and we're all, uh, we have to uh, update our uh, diagnosing and uh, repo- uh, reporting uh, protocols. And as pathologists, we have CAP guidelines that are very rigid for breast cancer, where we follow the protocols to make sure the appropriate templates are followed to make the diagnosis and every aspect of the tumor progression uh, is noted and reported to the uh, uh, clinician. And continual medical education is always been a part of the medical industry where we have to keep ourselves updated with the current um, and evolving trends in the field of medicine. Yeah, it's actually really funny that you mentioned that because SBC actually goes to ASCO every year and we're able to talk to leaders in the field of breast cancer. We're able to talk to physicians, researchers, all sorts of different people and organizations about, you know, their missions and, you know, what they've been doing. So that's just wanted to throw that in there and mention that. Uh, So just switching gears to you specifically, what do you feel is the most gratifying part of being a pathologist? Sometimes pre pre diagnosis i think uh, for a pathologist i'm talking about both uh, uh, benign and uh, neoplastic like the screening methods the uh, they're all in place to make sure the patient uh, whether it's for a pap smear or whether it's for uh, mammograms or the follow up biopsies uh, that is uh, that one kind of makes me feel that one even if we stop uh, one cancer from progressing uh, one lesion from progressing from a pre malignant to a malignant it is definitely worthwhile and then yeah. also with the newer advanced screening technologies, we are if we are able to uh, catch a cancer at the earlier stage and then uh, get the patient the real uh, the proper treatment uh, and make a difference in their health life, it's definitely uh, uh, gratifying. Uh, and then also as pathologists, like I said, we are uh, we are the bearer of the bad news. Uh, uh, yeah. We start with when it can be a benign fibrocystic change or it can be a cancer. So sometimes the guilt is on us that we gave we started the bad news, but then also we make sure with the entire medical community we are with the patient from diagnosis to giving our prognostic markers. We're helping the oncologists come up with a treatment plan and following them up through the treatment, looking at the biopsies again post treatment and then also after um, the treatment to make sure they're in remission and they're in a better health health phase. We get a lot of post-treatment um, uh, resection specimens where we make sure there's no tumor at the margins and all uh, uh, the rest of the breast tissue is uh, benign. So that is very gratifying and each uh, patient treated or each patient health is, uh, is the ultimate goal of every medical profession. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and what 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 kind of misconceptions do you think that cancer patients or in this case breast cancer patients may have about their diagnosis or what a physician is doing? Uh, it is uh, getting the cancer diagnosis is very intimidating. Uh, I've seen many patients. Uh, Though everything is in place, they, the initial shock, after the initial shock wears off, they, there's so much information, there's so much available, but where to start is a big question. I've yeah. seen um, patients struggle with it. So uh, th- that is all, uh, overwhelming, and they feel they're alone. They feel they're left out. They don't know where to start. And uh, uh, many times they're advised to get a second opinion, and, and then... Uh, 
they have to pick between two difficult choices. And again, it's very frustrating for someone who is not in the medical field. Um, so uh, for them, I would re- recommend is seek all the advice, be aware of the newer developments, get a second opinion and uh, speak to go to support groups and get the right help. So that way it will help you be a proponent of your own treatment plan. And again, like I said, the whole team has a common end goal of making sure the person ends up with no cancer. So we're all here to help, but they need to seek um, that information and it is available. And on that note, what what advice would you give to anyone listening about diagnostic testing and um, kind of making sure that they're staying up to date on on all that? Yeah, a lot of, uh, since breast cancer is one of those cancers which is less aggressive, it has given us more options to do more research. A lot of the new evolving changes are happening constantly, and there's a lot of targeted treatment that's available. So I would say for anyone diagnosed uh, uh, with uh, breast cancer or, the, or has a family history of cancer, be aware of the uh, screening methods that are available. And once they have a diagnosis, please stay informed. The more information you have is good. Uh, be aware of the new changes and seek out the facilities that provide the new newer uh, treatment um, uh, options. Get involved in clinical trials if you fit the uh, criteria. Uh, like I all said, you are your best advocate and uh, don't be afraid to ask questions and the clinicians will help you uh, get there. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And then finally, what what is the biggest advice you can give to anybody listening today, whether that's a patient, a family member, especially when it comes to like a difficult diagnosis? Uh, best advice? Uh, uh Stay strong. Uh, again, like there's a lot of options. There's a lot of re- new research being done. It is a hard battle, uh, but there is a lot of, uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. So keep persistent, reach out, get the best treatment. And uh, uh, fortunately, we all have the means and resources to get the treatment uh, uh, since it's available here. So I would say is uh, seek, uh, reach out and uh, seek out and get the best treatment possible. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Kulkarni. Your insight and knowledge has just been so amazing and getting to hear your advice to patients and their family members is truly going to be something that people will be able to take away from this podcast and, you know, bring into their their lives. So, again, thank you so, so much for joining me and it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you, Sanya. It was good talking to you and good luck with all the future podcasts. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening to our show. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast are from personal experiences and are not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always contact your medical care team. Let's keep the conversation going. You can follow us on Instagram at survivingbreastcancer.org. Also follow our podcast at Breast Cancer Conversations. Or if you're looking for more personal connections and behind the scene sneak peeks, feel free to follow me and William at Laura and Will. We would love to hear from you and to connect. I would also be remiss not to mention that our podcasts are made possible because of donations from our listeners like you. So if you love our pod and our content and want to support the work that we are doing for our nonprofit, please feel free to hop on over to survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash donate to make a contribution. Every bit helps. Finally, if you're looking for more ways to connect, check out our jam-packed calendar of programs at survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events. Thank you for being you, sending you light and love to keep on thriving.